Hey, this is Jimmy Malone in the trenches. I want to talk to you about adapting your game plan to win. Now, we all know that it takes a game plan if you're going to win a game. Uh, it takes a vision. It takes a strategy if you're going to be successful in ministry, whatever your ministry is. And uh, there's a couple of things you got to look at there. First of all, uh, number one, what is your purpose? What is your vision? If we have a church of a thousand people, what what what's happening there that's worth Jesus dying for? I mean, you can't just say we gathered together. So now if you're saying you want to, you want to raise up a thousand laborers, a thousand people saved, discipled, raised up and sent out into the community, into the marketplace as ambassadors for Christ. Well, that's, that's, that's a little closer. That's a, I'm not saying that you have to have some extravagant vision, but I wanna, I'm saying you have to have a meaningful vision. You have to look at your purpose. In other words, okay, we're planning a trip. How are we going to get there? And that's one of the reasons you, you have people who lack enthusiasm about your vision is quite often they don't understand where you're going. People don't want to drive to Orlando, but they want to go to Disney World. Driving to Orlando is a very big bummer. If you get to Orlando and it turns out to be, you know, Milwaukee or something, you, you're going to Disney World. And so don't just tell them about what the steps are to get there. Tell them the why, the why, what is your why? And once you figure that out, then it will tell you how to adapt your game plan. Number two, what's your model? What's your model? Now, here's the thing. Some people think a model is a vision because a model ain't a vision. Okay, I'm sorry. There is no model from heaven. People, well, I believe in the book of Acts. Well, you talking about the Jerusalem church, that they were meeting in the temple and house to house? You're talking about the Ephesian church, where they taught for two years in the school of Tyrannus and had house churches all over, uh, in, in multiplied churches and congregations, not only in Ephesus, but in Colossae, Hierapolis, uh, Smyrna, all these places. Are you talking about the Philippi, the Philippi model, where they started uh, down by the river, <laughs> you know, meaning for prayer? What, what model are you talking about? Because there's not a model in the Bible that's exclusive. There is not God's given model. Now, there is a gospel. There is a truth there. There are things that are immutable, and you have to decide what is transferable and what you can't touch, what is sacred and what is optional. But the, but the gospel, salvation by faith, and the new creation, those things are not negotiable. Holiness to the Lord is not negotiable. But here's the thing that I want to tell you. You have to have a, a, a man or a woman of God preaching the Word of God with diligence. But I don't care if they preach it in a t-shirt and jeans and pre preach it in a tuxedo. I mean, if we're going to wear our best for Jesus, then you need to get you a tuxedo, son. I mean, get you a tuxedo and, and show up every... And so sometimes we say things that when you take them to the extreme, you realize that maybe they're, maybe we need to rethink. Here's the thing you need to do. You need to realize that they're, that the model is only a vehicle for the vision that God's given you. Now, the vision has to be, of course, based on God's Word, but you can't do everything in the Bible in your ministry. I mean, I'm just telling you, there's a diversity of things in the ministry, and you're not going to be good at all of them. But you need to find out what God has called you to do as part of the body of Christ, and then you need to do it, and then you need to find a model that works for you. And so, um, some of the, just real briefly, some of the common models that you see, uh, you see, of course, the attractional model, which is we're going to have a big, uh, big church, you know, and grow it as big as we can. The regional church model, where we just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and people drive for 45 minutes or an hour on Sunday morning one way to come to the church. That's awesome. 
Um, you know, and those are cool things. Then we have ministries out of that, like programs, like, you know, there's a, there's a program for this and a program, uh, you know, for the kids program for the, uh, you know, people who are newly divorced, you know, and all these things. And, and, uh, and it's, it's a viable model. It's an expensive model. You got to have some resources to do it and you got it. But if you've got the budget for it, uh, there's a lot of things you can do. And, uh, and I'm not against any of the models. I mean, I have my preferences, but Hey, look, if you're doing it for Jesus and it's and you're preaching the word, man, I'm with you. Uh, another model you see is like the cell church model. Cell churches would be uh, you have a Sunday service, but then you have autonomous cells that each of them, you know, they actually do the work of a congregation to where your pastoral care is divided amongst all these leaders so that no matter how big you get, everybody always has their own family of in the church and and, then, and I've seen those work very effectively. Then you have some, here's another congregational attractional method that I'm seeing a little bit more of now and actually have been a part of myself in some cases, is where you have a smaller congregation and instead of buying a bigger building and becoming some regional church, you just, you know, start another smaller congregation. So you have like a group of affiliated smaller congregations so that, uh, you know, one of the things we were talking about at one point was in our area, I would like to have a Bible-believing cell group, church, congregation, whatever we whatever we can get established within 15 minutes of every lost person in our region. As a church people will drive past five or six churches to go to your regional church, but a lot of times lost people won't make that much effort because they don't understand it. And we want to be where they are. And so that, that's a thought behind that. Then you have like the house church movement where you have a group of house churches. So, uh, And then even within that, you got the different models where you have the program-based model. Then you have like the models that are based, you know, discipleship. Uh, based upon institutional uh, norms where it's more institutional, it's more streamlined, it's more organized in that way. And then you have the, the more of a mentoring discipleship where basically everybody has a friend or a buddy that latches on to them and, and everybody has a father or mother or mentor in the faith. Somebody you've trained, not so much to teach classes, but to walk with people through a season. And I've seen some of that. And that's a little more complicated in the sense that it's harder to control on paper and harder to chart, but there's some there's some serious upside to it. And, and I, I see a lot of it in the scripture. And so there's lots of different models, but let's just break it down here in a minute. Uh, I want to talk to you about the four things that you need to know to understand which direction you should go. Because even when you get that model, you've got to tailor that model to your church. And that's going to depend on your proficiency, your passion, your people, and your position. And I'll talk about that here in just a minute. We're still adapting our game plan to win. Uh, four things to keep in mind. Proficiency, passion, people, and position. First of all, your proficiency. Now, proficiency is, uh, you know, what are you good at? You know, what do you know how to do? And, uh, you know, I think about Saul's armor. You know, look in, in uh, 1 Samuel 17 where, you know, David, first of all, is told, well, you can't do it. You're too young. He's like, no, I can do it. I can do it. Okay, well, you know, maybe I'll, okay, I'll let you go out there and try to kill Goliath. But let, it says Saul put his armor on David. And so many times we want to go out and do something, you know, and, and we allow somebody else who has a working model, who has a, you know, you can learn so much from other people. And I don't want you to ever think that I'm against seminars, books, models. I love them because the more tools you have in the toolbox, the more you can you can deal with special problems and unique problems that come across your path. 
And some models don't play well with each other. You know, there's some things that you have to have that are components. Uh, but the truth is you better figure out, first of all, what are you good at? What are you good at? I mean, if you have a high pastoral motor and you're super good at pastoral care and you love just to sit and hold people's hands and, and, and drink coffee with them and you just praying with them and you just are always drawn toward those that are weaker among the flock and, and that is so awesome and I applaud you and I love you because I have to kind of put myself in gear because that's not my natural bent. But you know what? If that's you and you you can build a great church uh, based upon, you know, doing that and training people to do that. And it's going to be based upon pastoral care. Uh, but you, maybe you're not a strong preacher. Well, there's some churches that are built on fan, uh, fantastic. I know p- p- churches where people have gone and told me, man, that guy can preach. I mean, that guy's the most amazing preacher you ever heard. And I'm thinking, well, why'd you leave the church? And if you listen for a while, it's like, you know, I just, I felt like I never belonged there. You know, I just like go there and people don't know me and nobody talks to you. They're just all there to hear the sermon. And, uh, but you know what? That church has like 3,000 people and it's a rocking church in, in, uh, you know, in, in its area. So, um, that guy obviously is doing what he's good at. He's a fantastic Bible teacher. And that's what the whole thing's kind of built upon. Everything's just the whole thing's around. I've got this message from God and I've got this sermon of the week. And, and that's kind of what the whole thing's built around. And um, and even part of their big deals, they have a big school and Christian education and all this. And it's all about teaching, 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 teaching. And that's what he does. And so you need to figure out what you're doing. And Saul put his armor on David and David w- couldn't walk. He said, I can't walk in this. He said, I have not tested it. Look, if you're if you're planting a church or you're revitalizing a church or you're, you're in a transition right now where you're at a place where you know that you, you need a new church model. And this is some of you guys are not pastoring churches, but especially if you're pastoring a church or even if you have like a pastoral type ministry, like a campus ministry or something where you have small groups. If you have people in your care that you are leading, then the transition is very key because there people don't just jump up and change how they're doing and what they think about it overnight. But you better, if you're going to jump into a transition, that is a dangerous, dangerous time. And a lot of leaders do not successfully lead transition. And a lot of them wind up wounded and with their leadership weakened. Because if you try and fail, you really are in a bad situation. And if you push it through when the people aren't ready, you're going to lose a lot of people. So transition's so tough. You need to do it according to what you are good at. Do what you know how to do. David's like, I can't operate this. You would think to fight Goliath, a sword and a shield would be awesome, but he's not good at that. That's not who he is. What was he? He was a shepherd. He went out and he he killed lions and bears with you know a slingshot and a staff and his bare hands. And, and so here he is. He said, I'm going to go back to what I know. And so he went out and fought Goliath with what he knew and defeated Goliath with what he knew. And um, so when you're looking at, at your model that you're using or adapting your model or however, you know, your situation, the first thing you need to do is the, your, first, your first step should be what you're good at. And, you know, it's an old saying, but it's true. You know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so we do need some, some to, to be, uh, you know, diversified a little bit. We need some more people on the team. We need to learn, sharpen our skills. But the truth is um, you want to f- be able to fall back. If your model causes you to step outside of your proficiency, 
then it's not for you. You need a model where you can be good at what you're good at. And you can, you can, you know, when you do face those giants, you can step into your proficiency and be the hero and save the day uh, because that's what how God made you. And you're not going to change how God made you. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, the proficiency of your team. You know, if, you, if you're a tech guy but nobody on your team knows anything about tech, you don't want some kind of tech-heavy program about how you're going to handle things because you're just going to be frustrated by them glitching up everything all the time, right? So you also need to look at what am I good at and what is my team good at. And sometimes if you're really good at something, you can train a team in, um, in, in those proficiencies. The second thing is passion. Like, who cares? Because if nobody cares, it's not going to get done. You gotta. You think about you know what what makes you what makes you tick. What do you love? What do you get excited about? What do you get animated about? Your eyes light up and you start talking. You get a little bit louder. Talk a little faster. What you start moving your hands, getting excited. What are you animated about? You know what is it that gets you that, that, that gets you up in the morning and you're like, wow, I get to do this today. What is that thing? What is that thing that you look forward to every week? You know, um, <clears throat> there's parts of ministry that. And parts of what you're doing right now that you kind of dread, and there's parts of them that you just love. It makes it worth the whole thing. What is your passion? You know, and if if your if your passion is for uh you know for people that are homeless or for you know reaching out to the people on the margins, then you're not going to want a um you know you're probably going to want more of a missional approach than more of an institutional approach. Uh, you're not probably going to want to be the the uh, the guy who's just shows up from the back curtain and preaches and then slinks away and, you know, you can meet and greet the pastor once a month at some special function. That's awesome for some people. Hey, some pastors need that. I've been around some pastors that aren't even even fun to be with, but they're amazing anointed men and women of God. And so you probably want to be more of those, you know, that's out there, you know, available, maybe a smaller group, you know. Look, some models, you can only grow so big before you need to multiply out and do another campus or another group or another home group or something because they don't fit that. Some of them can grow big as, they, as you can possibly fit them in one place, but is that your heart? I mean, if you're leading a church of 3,000 and you don't have any personal relationship with any of these lost people, you don't, all you people you deal with is your staff, some people are not ever going to be happy doing that and never satisfied doing that, and you get ministry burnout. And at the same time, you know, vice versa, you need to figure out what it is that you're, you know, maybe the whole thing is the sermon writing. Maybe that's putting together messages is the thing that fires you up more than anything else is to dig in a word and put together a message. Maybe it's, you know, uh, working with the music team, what, whatever, training leaders, you know, what, what's your, what makes you excited? What gets you going? That's your passion. You need to make sure that whatever adaptation you make to your model, that you are operating in your proficiency and in your passion and also consider the passion of your teams. Wherever your team's passion and your passion intersects is a sweet spot for the church. In other words, if you love, you know, if you love motorcycles, you know, and you just want to look. I know a guy who loves motorcycles, had two or three guys in his church had motorcycles. So they started going to these, you know, rallies, you know, and just showing up, you know, and like being that church that shows up on motorcycles, you know, and, and, and reaching out and winning people. Hey, that's awesome. Wouldn't work where I'm at because I don't have a motorcycle and only like one or two people in my church ride bikes, you know, ride the motorcycles. And so I love it. I think it's cool. But that's uh, what's your passion? What's your people's passion? The third thing is people. We mentioned the team a couple of times. Uh, you can only grow what you have. <laughs> so, uh, you know, 
So many times as leaders, we spend all of our time chasing imaginary people that we're not catching, and we overlook the faithful people who are right in front of us. Look, it, what are your what is the, what's going to work with your people? If the people you already have are excited and fired up, that gives you a tremendous advantage. If the people you have are just being polite and going along with you, even when you get visitors and people come in, they're not going to go, man, what amazing church model they have here. They're going to go, eh, yeah, yeah, just kind of no excitement here. It's kind of ho-hum. They don't, people don't know about the model. They just know about how do I feel when I get there and how do I feel around these people. And so the people that you have make a difference. If you have, uh, you know, first of all, you multiply what you got. If you got a bunch of young couples with kids, then make sure you're catering to those. But, you know, I, uh, I've been in churches where, like, the target, the tra- people we're trying to reach are the wrong kind of people for what we're, what we're doing. Or I've been in the place where I was in the wrong place. I remember being in a community where it was really kind of, uh, you know, I didn't realize as my, I knew it when I got there, but I didn't know all the implications. But I was in a community where people really wanted, it was a prestige community. It was a really, uh, you know, one of the nicer communities in my state. And, uh, and there were a lot of need there, but there was, these were people that had higher incomes and different ways of doing things that than I was used to. And, you know, I realized is that I really, my heart went out to the, the fringes, to the people who were the most rejected, the most broken. And when I brought those people in, it's like other people in the community are like, that's so awesome that you're doing that. I just don't want to go to church with those people. And... I was the wrong guy in the wrong place. I was trying to do kind of a grungy street ministry in a place that really didn't want any grungy streets at all in their community. And so I was like, you know, I probably should have thought that through a little more. And uh, that's why I'm doing a podcast. So you can think it through and then don't do what I did. (laughs) You need to learn your proficiency, your passion, and figure out your people, not only the people that you have, but the people that you're trying to reach and and find out where that sweet spot is. You know, don't try to force something that's in, that's not there. If you got a bunch of seniors, you know, guess what? You know, there's things that you can do that those seniors get excited about and, and fired up. And I know I'm reading about this. You know, people are all upset about you know churches trying to you know shut down and run off all the old people and and you know start without them and things like that. And that's an example. You know, I read about that church in Minnesota that did that. It's just funny, but uh. It's, I'm reading it, and I know what happened. They have a model, and the model says just shut it down and replant it with a new name and a new congregation, and the, the, the hint being the old people can go to the church down the road. And so, But basically, they just what they did in, in, in effect was actually boot the people who built the church and paid the bills all these years and tell them, we, we'll, we'll carry on without you. And, uh, and so that's not maybe their intention, but when you get your model in, instead of people, then you really have messed up. Your model never trumps your people. It's the people first. It's about taking care of the people. And if your plan of your model of your agenda can't be adjusted because the people, you know, to meet the needs of the people, then you've got the horse, uh, you know, behind the carriage. You know, you you, you got to turn that thing around. You know, you got you got the, the whole thing out of order. And so meeting the needs of the people is uh, is the purpose of the model. And if the model's not doing it, you don't make the people change for the model. You make the model change for the people, and that depends on who you're reaching and who you have. The fourth thing I said is position, 
And position, we, sometimes we mean possessions, but you know, what's your financial position? What's your physical position? Are you at a downtown church, you know, in a decaying area of town? Are you in a suburban area? Are you in a house church? Do you, are you leasing a building? Are you transient church where you're just, you know, just getting started and you're meeting wherever you can meet in the Holiday Inn or, or whatever, you know? Um, are you a campus ministry that's, you know, on two different campuses in the same city or whatever, you know, are you, um, you know, are you an evangelist, you know, and in that situation, what is your position in the sense of what denominational ties do you have? What organizational ties do you have? What fellowship, you know, do you have with pastors who are supporting what you're doing? And so you've got to look at your position. It's your financial position. It's your relationship position. It's your physical geographical position. You know, are are you in an English-speaking area, uh, but you're predominantly Spanish? I've seen churches like that before, and uh, and truthfully, you know, that 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 changes the way you do things. If you're having a Spanish service in an English town, you know, you can do that because there there's enough people. But you but that changes what you're doing. You're not, you know, you're you're going to have to decide: Are we going to be bilingual? Are we going to have an English service and a Spanish service, or only a Spanish service? I know there was a Spanish church in Houston that uh, that I was actually their youth pastor. I was the youth pastor for two congregations, and we all the one youth group with two congregations because the Spanish church wanted their kids assimilated. They wanted them to be part of the American culture, and they came together with another church that I was already there. And we made one youth group where I had half my kids coming from the Spanish church and I would speak for them occasionally and with a translator because their services were on all in Spanish, but their youth services were all in English, which is what the youth and the parents wanted. They specifically said, we want them to be in an American youth group. And so that's what we did. And so, uh, so you need to know your proficiency, your, uh, your passion, your people and your position, and that will help you to determine, uh, how you tailor the model or tailor your plan or program, tailor your agenda to, to be effective for Jesus. Now, uh, this next segment, I want to give you just a few examples of that. And we're going to check into that right now. So let's talk about how the game plan works. How do you make these changes in midstream uh, in the middle of a battle, how do you how do you do that? I heard one uh, military guy one time speaking said, "No battle plan ever survives the battle; that uh, changes have to be made." So we talked about our vision and about our model. Those are two important things, and 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 uh, we talked about learning to operate in your proficiency, your passion, with your people, through your and from your position. But how does that work in real life? I want to give you a couple examples just from the ministry that I've had to deal with. I remember, uh, you know, planting a church one time where it just seemed like it wasn't growing, but I had some, I had some good people that really had a vision to do some things. And I had some leaders and, um, and, and it seems like that we just were, we were just plowing away and got a lot of visitors, a lot of people come through, a lot of people come through the door, but a lot of them were very unstable and in recovery and different things. And then we had, I remember one time, uh, one year, you know, we were running, uh, 35 and we had 21 people move out of the state in three months of our of our 35 and so we basically restarted like twice and it was crazy and you know you'd have 25 30 people and then you'd have six people and then back up and and so we were fighting through it 
and uh, and really had a heart to reach out and be more of a regional church. That was the idea is we were going to plant this church. We we're going to grow it. And it was going to get big enough that everybody in the county was going to be driving our church because, you know, that's how it works. Right. And um, and but that wasn't happening. And but I had this guy on my staff that was really I knew he was called to pastoral ministry and he knew he was called to pastoral ministry. And he a Bible school graduate and had, had some experience before and was doing good. And I just knew in my heart that I'm not going to keep this guy a long, long time because he's he's already ready to do something. And, and not that he was rebellious, not that it was bad. And one thing I'll tell you is, you know, as a leader, you, you need to be sending people. You need to let them go. Bless them and send them out and help them along their way. Because if you're the kind of leader that everybody who ever works for you, you try to hold them through persuasion or through manipulation or through, you know, the cold shoulder, like you get stiff and look like a dying fish every time they talk about maybe stepping out into ministry in some other capacity. You know, you need to cheer those people on because, because you know, the more you send out, more God sends you. You want to be a sowing church. You want to sow people and sow finances and sow ministry. You don't want to be a, a holding church where you hold everybody back that ever worked with you. And so here I am in this little church. And I remember we had a down year. We were running 25 people. And it was 25 people. And uh, and we had this this uh, opportunity to use a building in a town, uh, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes down the road. Next, and it's a little bitty town of, you know, like 300 people. And, uh, and so we're, we're going, you know, there's this building here that we, that was offered to us and we didn't know exactly what to do with it. But I was like, man, you know, this just, I know that I want to be here. I know I've had a heart for this community. And at one point I had lived in that community. And so I was, uh, you know, just super excited about this opportunity. And, and they said, you know, what are you going to do here? I said, well, I want to plant a church here. And everybody thought I was crazy. You only got 25 people at your church. You can't plant a church right now. You just can't do it. And uh, and so, you know what? I, I I talked to a guy who was working with me about planting that church, and he was excited, and then he dropped out. Just, no, nope, can't do it. Not going to do it. Okay. Well, then I talked to my friend, uh, you know, my, my worship leader, and I said, hey, man, have you thought about planting this church? Because I feel like you should plant this church. And he was the one who knew he was called to be a pastor. He said, I know I'm supposed to plant, pastor a church, but planting a church is a totally different thing. And I'm I mean, he's watching me get kicked in the head and us drag up every week and try to make things happen. And so he's seeing he's seeing a blow by blow of the blood, sweat and tears. And he's like, whoa, I don't know if I want to be in charge of this thing. And so but I knew he was supposed to be the pastor after I talked to him. And, and he said, no, well, I just prayed about it and left him alone. Three months later, he said, you still think think about opening that church in Taylor? I said, yeah, it's a Taylor, Arkansas, a little bit tiny town. Look it up. It's in the middle of nowhere. Tiny, tiny town. And so I was, um, you know, I was actually using the building on Sunday evening, having a little meeting and not a lot happening, but I knew that I needed a campus pastor. Well, this guy goes out, long story short, we send out six people, including my worship leader and his family and a couple other people who were, you know, connected with him to this church. And they all lived in that area. So we sent six people to this church. And then a year later, we've got two campuses and I'm still running 25, <laughs> But he's running 25. And so somebody asked me about, you know, you know, you need to really look at your vision and look what you're doing, Jimmy, because you've been working here and, you know, you, your church didn't grow at all this year. You had 25 and you still got 25. And Jimmy, you know, I just am wondering, you know, you, is this really what you need to be doing? And I'm just almost laughed at him because I'm thinking, no, actually, actually, you know, we do have a, another campus. We 
we have two services on Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your main campus. But here's the truth. We were a church of 25. A year later, we were two churches of 25. That's 100% growth, and that's multiplication of campuses and services, and got nothing to be ashamed of. The people that we sent away down there, we replaced them with more people and raised up more leaders. And so uh, sometimes... But that's an example of we didn't grow the way I thought we were going to grow, but we still wanted to reach a community. An opportunity arose, which all of a sudden I looked at my position. I have two buildings, and one of them's free, just offered to me in another community. And what's what are the people? Well, I have a guy on staff that I know is going to go somewhere. I know he's going somewhere. So why hold him and why fight him and why try to beg him to stay? Why not give him an opportunity within our organization, within our within our ministry, to, to partner with him to go in there? And when they launched out, we were our you know we were handling the books. You know they deposited. They had a branch of the same bank down there, and they just deposited the offerings, and we paid the bills. We handled the books. He didn't need a secretary. He didn't need a bookkeeper. He didn't need a board. Didn't need any of those things because he was completely part of our church. And now he's got his own. Now he's fully on his own. Right now, you know, this is years later, he's on his own. He's doing good and growing, and and looking at maybe starting another campus in a town down the road. You know, and that's an awesome thing. But that was not exactly how I would have done it. We were supposed to grow and become awesome and you know, and make a name for ourselves and really blow it up and then start planting campuses. But I realized that I was in the position, I had a passion for church planting. I knew that I was proficient at church, at, at getting something started. I'm not always proficient at getting it huge because the book on how to have a thousand people in your church, I can't write yet because I don't have, I haven't done it yet. But man, I can get something started. And I know I can, I'm good at it. I've done it before. And so I had the proficiency to get it started, the passion because I loved it and the people to do it. And then I had the position because I had a I had a building in the middle of this town that, that was not being used. And guess what? A church was planted out of that, and our our reach of our weekly ministry doubled that year. And God blessed it. And so that was, you know, you we had to adapt, but it lined up with all of those other things. Um, another example of, of making adaptations, also about, you know, I had another church, that years later, you know, I was wanting, I really felt like we needed to do small groups for the same reason because we had a lot of people in recovery, and I'm sorry, but recovery and small groups really go together. You can't help somebody with an addiction from a, a, a congregational from behind the pulpit. You gotta, you gotta hold hands with them. You gotta look them in the eye. You need, they need brothers and sisters. They need people to walk with them and pray with them and cry with them and uh, go get them when they miss and stuff like that. So, um, but I was at this church where the young people were. It was just exploding with young people. And the older people, when I came, there were 17 people, and they were all elderly. And then one point, we're running 60 and 70, and all of a sudden, then all the new people, it's a radically different culture. And we we drastically changed to adult contemporary music because, the well, the, the organ player had a stroke, and there was no one there to lead music but me, and I'm sorry, but... I just got out my electric guitar and led worship that way. And as soon as I did, there was a guy in the congregation said, "Hey, man, I play the drums. Can I can I get some drums? Yeah, sure." And uh, and then uh, you know, hey, I play bass. We had a band within a week, and so we were doing contemporary stuff. It was a big lurch for these uh, older people, but the congregation began to explode with younger people, mostly the kids and grandkids of these older people, and their and their families. And so. Um, 
we started exploding, but there was this tension with the older people that they felt like they were losing their church. And there was some, some grumbling and some complaining and some backbiting and going behind my back and trying to undermine me and some things. And it was all about style. You know, it wasn't about, oh, we love what he's doing. We love the young people coming, but we want to see this in our church. And so uh, we had a Wednesday night service, which uh, was not very well attended, like seven people in Wednesday night service. And most of them were our new believers who just were hungry. And so I started these small groups. But before I did, here's one thing just to tell you. When you're transitioning something, you need to figure out, give the people something that they want. Don't don't make them feel like they have to lose something to gain something. Uh, you know, if you can start something, if you can start implementing a new vision or a new approach uh, at a new service, start something new and do something new at the new service, that's cool, but if you take their old service and change it, there's always tension, always tension. So if it's if it's possible, do a pilot program that's not going to interrupt what they already have until they decide they love it, you know, or there's enough people that accept it. And so this Wednesday night service, our midweeks was nothing. You know, we had like 70 on Sunday and seven on midweek. And so I said, let's launch these small groups. But I took Wednesday service and I, I started doing nothing but hymns. Nothing but hymns and the old choruses. I mean, we were doing I'll Fly Away, and there's a new name written down in glory. And I mean, we were doing old stuff. And all these older people wouldn't come on Wednesday because they said they couldn't drive at night. Well, I don't get out at night. I don't drive at night. Okay, that's cool. I started doing hymns, and all of a sudden, 20 or 30 of them are showing up. You know, <laughs> It's like, all of a sudden, they can drive at night. And they told me, said, said, Brother Malone, why don't you do this on Sunday? The church would be packed. And I'm thinking, well, when y'all were doing this, you had 17 people. And now that we're not doing it, the church is getting packed. But I didn't say that because I want to be sweet to them. Uh, but here's the thing that was funny is the Wednesday night service, all the young people fled. The young people totally ditched my Wednesday night service. And we packed it out with our elderly people. And all I did was preach on love, the Holy Ghost, salvation and heaven pretty much that's all i talked about the whole rest of the year and they just were just loving it and bringing their friends and saying man this is the best service i why didn't we do this the whole time and then i started small groups for my i started the men's group my wife started the women's group well we wound up having 32 people on wednesday nights well not wednesday night because some of our groups met at other time but during the week during the week we would have 32 people in small groups and services Whereas we had seven. So all of a sudden my participation is growing and everything's doing better. But instead of uh, having a, you know, a, an older church where we had a youth group, we started having a younger church where we had a senior group on Wednesday. So Wednesday night, instead of turning the building over to the youth, we turned it over to the seniors. It was kind of ironic, but you know what? It worked because we were adapting our vision based upon the people that we had and the position that we had. And it was, and, and you don't want your plan to over to ever trample people. Now, if somebody's against soul winning, if somebody's against uh, us going after the lost, if somebody is against preaching holiness and, and living right, then they have to be opposed, you know, with love. But if somebody just has a stylistic issue, if there's a way that I can, without giving up my purpose, without compromising my vision, if there's a way that I can minister to that person, you know, I want to do that, you know, because we you can't make everybody happy, but you don't want to trample people just because this piece of paper says that that's not what we're doing. You don't want to do that. And uh, one other thing I want to throw out, which it's interesting. It's another another thing that also involves older people, but it was a challenge. It was an opportunity. Uh, the church where I'm at now, we have a very aggressive 
group of seniors who are not the people. Sometimes you think about the seniors, they're the first ones to say no. Well, our seniors are set on go. We have amazing seniors in this church, and they, they're excited. They want to do something for Jesus, and they're always pushing me that they want to do more, and they want more things you know, going on, and uh, which is awesome. But uh, we we uh, when I came here, the church was in tremendous debt. We had a facility which was very, it looked nice, but had a lot of structural problems and a lot of plumbing problems and electrical issues that, you know, things that weren't working. And and uh, and it was way more than we could afford. And the church was really severely strapped in debt. And I came here with no salary and, you know, working for free. And uh, the church was just, it was just everything we could do to keep the church open. And uh, we had the opportunity to sell the building. And so we, we were kind of like what you would call, we're not a revitalization, we're actually a replant, where we sold all the property, changed the name of the congregation, and moved to a different area, moved across town, you know, in our community, and into a, a growing area, you know, like the uh, the developing area of the town, and uh, and with a new name and a new location, and we're actually just renting. We're actually only renting, like, on Sunday morning, so we don't have an opportunity, we do not have a place to have, they have this cool Sunday school class for the adults that they had a fellowship with hall with a kitchen and they would like to eat together and do this together and have coffee and whatever. We lost that. And that was something that was tough on them, but they voted 100%. Our congregation voted 100% to do it and everybody was on board. Well, as we're looking, we found out that there's a senior assisted living center. It's a, um, uh, well, it's not assisted living. I guess it was what you call low, the low income, but it's a senior apartments for, for low income rental. And uh, they had an activity center that had a kitchen and a fellowship hall. Well, I, I got to talking to them because they we'd made a donation to them because somebody had donated uh, actually through Rural Compassion with Convoy of Hope had donated some foodstuffs to me and I had more than I could give away. I took it to the senior center and said, hey, if you guys got any any of your tenants that could use this and they were so glad and they had a food pantry i'm loading up the food pantry and i'm looking around and i'm in this fellowship hall going wow this is cool i said well what 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 would it take for us to have a bible study here could if you get a church to come out they go well no we don't have any churches come out here i said man we'd love to have church uh every sunday i mean every every friday could we have church every friday because that's when our bible study was well they were excited the manager said this is great so we go out there and we our seniors would go out and they would prepare a meal and they had a kitchen and everything. They'd all heat up their casseroles and all their stuff and whatever they're doing. And these ladies would go out with the meal. And we have a, a lady that she can teach the word now. And she would throw down and teach. And, and they'd pray for one another. And, I mean, God healed people and God touched people. They just they they expected a move of God. And so uh, we started calling it Potluck Church because that's what they did was potlucks. And which I don't even honestly like potluck. It's just kind of a confession. I'm, I don't like care for potluck. But here's the cool thing. We had our own building with just a handful of people having this meeting. And so we moved out into an apartment complex for elderly. And our seniors went out and, and had church at their place out in the community. And it grew. And we had more people come into that than we ever had coming to our building before we lost our building. So this is a situation where our, our position changed. We no longer had the position of having an established church facility. We now were nomads and just met wherever we could. And so we were able to use another facility, and it actually opened up a door of evangelism and outreach. And so we had a missionary. We just I told my teacher of that class, I said, You're, you are our missionary to the elderly apartments. And, um, and, and that happened for a season. You know, then they got new management, and they became 
terrified that we would have church there. And so it only lasted for like a year and a half. But you know what? We made relationships. People came to Jesus. We made connections that we still have. And, and guess what? That's, that they had to relocate, relocate to another place later. So necessity brings changes. But I want you to, to think about this. You, 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 when you make a change, it's got to be in, in, in addition to your vision. It's got to line up with your vision. It's got to be something that coincides with your vision. And it also has to be within your model. Understand how you're, are you trying to attract people to one place? Or are you trying to invade the community and scatter the, 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 the ministry into as many places as you can? Uh, which I kind of tend that way. But where I'm at right now, a tractional model actually works better. I don't know why. I don't like it. But, it, you know, and you get both in the Bible. They were preaching in the temple and, and in the, every house, and so they did both. And so, um, you know, you got to decide what model are you going to operate out of and, and, then, and then operate, you know, make those decisions based on that. Then you look at your proficiency. What are you good at? Your passion. What gets you up in the morning? Your people. Like, who's with you? And your position, what do you got in your hand? You know, God told Moses, why you cry to me? What's in your hand? <laughs> Stretch forth your rod. You know, what's in your hand? I remember the, the, this uh, widow lady came to Elisha, one of the widow of one of the sons of the prophets. And she said, you know, the creditors are coming to take my children, you know. And he said, what's in your house? And she said, well, we got one little vasque of oil, you know, one little, you know, little plot of oil, a little jar, a jar of oil. And he said, okay, take it and uh, get all the vessels you can find. Borrow not a few. So get all you can find and go into the in the inner room and begin to pour it into every one of them. Just pour it out. And so God multiplied what was in her house. But the miracle's in your house. The miracle's there. What you need is already there. What you need to do, what God told you to do, is already there. You've already got the people. You've already got the passion, the proficiency. You've got the position. You've got, you know, what's in your hand. And so you take that. You make those changes. I hope this encourages you. And uh, feel free to comment. You know, we have a message line. You can leave me a voice message uh, if you can look on, you know, on the on the the, the link for the podcast. But uh, you know, until next time, uh, just keep putting one foot in front of the other, and I'm here with you in the trenches.